Yeah, where's it coming from? Let's find out. Welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher, and with me are Kendra Mauer and Morgana. Tonight, for a very special Halloween dark of the year treat, we are going to tell our own personal ghost stories. Um, some of these are maybe a little bit of a repeat, but most of them are things that we haven't told before. So... We're going to let Morgana start off, and then we're going to jump in and just sort of roundtable it. All right. Um, so I'm going to go in reverse chronological order, I think, and start with the most recent things that have been happening. Um, around the beginning of the year, I had a shadow man move into my kitchen, um, which was actually seen by people on video calls because this was still during pandemic times. And it would apparently hover over my shoulder, um, which is how I discovered there was a shadow man in my kitchen. Um, we had three people do that, um, tell me, hey, there's a shadow thing right behind you. Did you know that? And I finally started catching glimpses of it in the hallway by the kitchen after three people told me, hey, there's a shadow man in your house. Maybe you should keep an eye out for it. Um, it never did anything awful. It, it just hung out in my kitchen and was nosy. So I eventually shooed, shooed it out, <laughs> much like you shoe chickens with an apron, I think, with a broom and some salt. It was like, no, 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 go home. <laughs> and it hasn't bothered me since. Um, Let's see. Other than the recent Shadow Man, I think there's been the occasional gray drifting veil also seen floating around behind me by the my fellow podcasters, actually, mm -hmm. um, which was just a, mm, okay, that happened moment. And then I think the others are going back to our Gettysburg trip when my little brother was in fifth grade. Uh, me and mom got to be, what are they, what are they called? Chaperones. Not chaperones. chaperones. Yeah. I was trying to say duennas. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> no, we are not. Thing. <laughs> we're not, we're not in the Vorkosigan novels. We're not, uh, <laughs> we're not little old ladies at a dance. I it's the synonyms were messing with me mm -hmm. um but yeah we got to be chaperones for the Gettysburg trip because neither one of us had ever gotten to go to Gettysburg and as we history, nerds, history nerds as history nerds this was terrible um and I think I think I knew right when we crossed into the boundaries of Gettysburg because I believe I was reading and I just popped my head up and went, Ooh, 
<laughs> we both did that. We, we both popped our heads up and I looked behind me at you and you, you had popped your head up and we were like, we're here. <laughs> I feel is. like that's a common experience in Gettysburg because I heard other people say the same thing. And I did. I had the same experience where you drive in and you're like, what was that? <laughs> yeah. Like, like there's a boundary. Yeah. Right yeah you could, it's like you cross a wall and you're it in Gettysburg. It is very much like you cross a wall and then yeah. you're in Gettysburg. Yes. Yeah. I blame uh, Maxwell Plank. <laughs> <laughs> He's my favorite. <laughs> but yeah, it's like a force field surrounds yeah. the town and you can tell when you cross in and you can tell when you cross out too. Cause mm -hmm. when we left, I was like, Oh, you breathe easier out here. Woo. So nice. It was nice. Um, and we got to do a lot of cool things at Gettysburg. We got to visit like a historical farm. We got to visit a bunch of historical sites and battlefields and got guided tours. And it was wonderful. And the backbeat of all of this really, really interesting history and museums and really entertaining fifth grade children, honestly. <laughs> yeah, they were fun um was weird things just kept happening um on the march on the walk from the farm to devil's den i heard cannons yep and i at first was like oh reenactors or a car backfiring and no <laughs> there was nothing there was nobody as far as the eye could see which once you get up towards Devil's Den is is a field and you can climb on massive rocks and it's a field like you can see the whole field the whole field's empty aside from a couple of people also on tours and you know just coming there by themselves um and that was that was the opening shot as it were of the strange things that just peppered our Gettysburg trip um we got to go on a ghost tour which was excellent. That's cool. Um, if you ever, if you ever have the chance to go on a ghost tour at Gettysburg, you really should. Um, we, I did not see anything on the ghost tour. However, I was comforting a very nervous fifth grade girl <clears throat> who was very worried about the ghost tour. And another very nervous fifth grade girl <laughs> who's related to me, who was also starting to get nervous. Um, and we're sitting on the steps of a building that's in front, the, the yard in front of it had at one point been where they had put the amputated limbs of the people from the field hospital. Which was the building that we were sitting on the steps of Yummy. at that time. Um, so I've got my arms around two nervous kids. And I am like, okay, th I think this is fascinating. I'm here for creepy, gory stuff and the legend of the what, the scout who is constantly, you know, patrolling there and is standing watch, the lone watchman. And all of a sudden, a hand touches the top of my head and strokes down. And runs its fingers through my hair and then touches my shoulder and starts to stroke my back. I froze and went, okay, is it the kids? No, I can feel both of their hands and their hands are tiny and this hand is big. 
And there was nobody sitting behind you. And there was nobody behind me. And it's not the wind because it's still moving. And it feels like a hand because at one point it felt like a hand on my shoulder would feel. And it's not, at first I was like, okay, maybe it's bugs in my hair. No, no, not bugs. And so there I am with two kids who are terrified of ghosts being petted by a ghost. And I'm just like, okay, just hold perfectly still (laughs) and don't say anything until after the ghost tour because these kids will never sleep again if I say anything. Yeah, that that was... We had to go outside after we got back to the hotel. We had to go outside so Morgana could smoke a cigarette and we didn't want the kids to come out with us and breathe the smoke. So they stayed inside and she was like, mom, I'm like on the steps, right? And and she was like, did you feel it too? And I said, no, no, I didn't. But you, I was sitting in front of you and your knee was in my back and you stiffened up at one point. And you kind of went, and I was like, something just happened. But she's not going to tell me because we got some scared children here. So, okay. Okay. That was around, that was the same building that I saw the light inside of. Yes, it was. Up on the tower. And the watch light. And I'm sitting there watching that. I'm like, "Mm, mm mm-hmm. It was a bluish white light and it kept moving around. And I was just like, okay, I see that. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, these things does not belong. And Morgana came and was like, Mom, do you see something up there? You're staring. You're staring. And I'm like, Yeah, I see something, but don't talk about it in front of the kids. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we 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 shared our information when the kids weren't listening. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Gettysburg was just full of excitement and things. And wasn't there also the house where there was a widow? Mm-hmm. And we both saw her face in the window. Yep. <coughs> we both looked up at the window about the same time. And. I had been looking up there before and I had looked away and there was not, the window was clean. It wasn't like it was all smudgy, you know, cause that, that was one of the things I was looking out for was, you know, is there something that can reflect from things? So I'm checking that out. And there was a, a woman's face that flashed up there for a second and then just sort of like she stepped backwards. And I was like, okay, that's, that's cool. But one kid did see something up there because remember yes. one of the kids pointed and went yep. a face. That's and I why like, I looked. Yeah. Yeah. Was I because was like, one of oh. the kids pointed it out. Um, because I, this was the first ghost tour I ever went on and I was fully prepared for like a whole lot of fun, like, Ooh, spooky stories and like sweet historical tidbits. And to sort of have that corn maze feeling where like you are ready to be like scared in a fun way, not prepared to actually notice things that are possibly paranormal. Yeah. That's kind of how I felt about it. Uh, the storyteller we got was really good. Oh, her, she was awesome. her period costuming was great. She's actually in a corset, um, which, you know, costuming nerd goes oh she's wearing a proper corset 
from the right century. Yeah. Woo. Um, she reminded me of my aunt Judy too. Yes, she, she did. very much. She had a very similar vocal timbre. She did sound like great aunt Judy. And, um, uh, she was cool. So let's see. Did you have anything else happen on the ghost tour? Because with, with me, it was pretty much, you got touched by something invisible and then the rest of it was pretty normal. Um, mine was the light up in the tower, the lady's face. And then when I was sitting on the stairs, there was this sense of heaviness right before you stiffened up. And then that was it. Whether, you know, I was too much on my guard or what it, it didn't really great stories though. Oh yeah. That's, that's the one, that's the building where somebody went down an elevator and the elevator door opened in the basement where the field hospital had been. And they saw the field you know, hospital 19th century surgery occurring, which is just something you don't want to contemplate. Um, and that was horrible. And, uh, and That's people it. were reported to have been touched by by something there too. It wasn't yeah. just me, which yeah. I'm like, is this the power of suggestion? And I don't think the power of suggestion is good enough to make you feel invisible things running their fingers through your hair. I don't generally think so. If it um, had been like something I'd heard or seen, I would be like, okay, I can like see how this could be a trick of my eyes or my ears, but tactile sensation is like harder for me to be fooled with i feel like or anybody maybe i don't know it yeah. was creepy cool no, that was creepy that was also the night that we went to the paranormal museum the ghost museum because mm -hmm. they ran the ghost tour and that's where we got the dousing rods so you should yes. talk about the dousing because that was before we went on the tour yes while we were waiting to go on the tour um because, of course, I had to buy pendulum and dowsing rods because they had really cool pendulums for sale. And I didn't own a pair of dowsing rods. And I was like, I should own a pair of dowsing rods. Um, and this prompted me to play with said dowsing rods in a gaggle of fifth grade children who were all like, what are dowsing rods? So I got to explain what they were. And then they were like, we'll use them. And I was like, I don't know what to find. And they were like, find one of us. So I was like, okay. So I would shut my eyes and try and find whoever whichever kid volunteered to be found and then the rods would follow them when they moved around um which was great fun for everybody concerned oh yeah the um, one girl was like no dad dad <laughs> she can do the dowsing and the dowsing rods are following me now what's cool is her dad i didn't realize he was native appalachian he was from i think appalachian pennsylvania and he was like, dowsing rods. I haven't seen those since I was a kid. So he and I started talking about dowsing in Appalachia because there's a big tradition of it. And I said, oh, yeah, I, I used to douse with my grandfather. He's like, what, what did you, you, did you use these kinds with the rods? And I said, no, we used forked sticks to find water. And we did it all the time. And we were really good at it. And he was like, that's really cool. I, he's like, I knew an old man who could who could do the stick. He said, but we used the rods and his daughter who was terrified because Morgana's dowsing rods are following her all through this, you know, group of kids was like, daddy, you can do that too. He's like, well, I used to be able to. <laughs> She's like, I didn't know. He's well, I haven't thought about it in a long time. So that was cool. 
That's also when we decided that Appalachia is America's battlefield. So many battles, not yeah. just in the Civil War, but, you know, the French and Indian War and the Revolutionary War and mm -hmm. the Civil War and then all the way up to Matewan and the Battle of Blair Mountain have taken place in Appalachia. It's kind of like, well, this is where we shed all kinds of blood. It's just great. <laughs> so that, I think, adds to a lot of what happens in Appalachia. Yeah. It's I, the, it's blood magic. It requires blood. <laughs> that's why the clay's so red sometimes, so I think. The land gets bored and hungry and starts a little war and we spill our blood and it drinks our blood and on it goes. I'm sorry, I'm really dark tonight. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean it suits the topic. It so fits. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> Uh, and then, let's see, there was also the the battlefield where we saw animal ghosts. Oh, right, the horse, the horse yep. during the cavalry charge. Um, yeah, because and that's the other thing is all of these ghost happenings happened in context, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why, to some extent, I place, I, I, I believe in them a lot more than I don't because they made sense in where they were happening and I can understand them as echoes very easily because to me it makes a lot of sense that something, something like the Battle of Gettysburg would leave such an imprint on a landscape that there would be echoes and ripples. One of the things that I kept thinking about when I was there is looking at different trees and thinking about just the volume of, of sound that was present when these trees were saplings. And I often wonder about that. It's like, I wonder if there's some kind of, you know, record that you could see where it was just such a traumatic time for such a long time. Yeah. Um, but again, we're, we're getting, we're on our guided tour and we're learning about a cavalry charge. The kids are all off the bus. Everybody's getting the lecture. I turn and glance over the field and there is a horse, a red roan whinnying and like, like screaming, like a horse will scream when it's really angry or freaked out and like rearing and twisting in this field and I glance over and I see it and I blink and I look away. I blink or I look away. I can't remember which. And then it's just gone. And there was no place for it to disappear to. It was an um, open field. <laughs> it was an open field. There weren't like hillocks that it could have, you know, just run over. And there was no sound from the, the hoofs. I saw it too. Um, and I think we were the only two who saw it because we had all these middle school aged and you know late elementary school aged girls around us who are in that horse era of you know childhood obsession i know they would have been horse oh my god look it's a horse oh look at the horse if it had been a real horse because when i first saw it i was like oh wow that somebody's got horses grazing here this is really verisimilitude this is cool oh, wait a minute it's gone 
you know <laughs> i was like and it didn't have a rider that was the no it didn't it have tack like, on it either yeah it I wasn't saw. like we saw a rider on it or anybody in uniform on it or a saddle or anything it, it didn't even have a, a very it was just a very unhappy horse screaming in a field yeah and then it it poof disappeared in that same field, we were getting the kids back on the bus, and there an eagle flew over, and it was a bald eagle. I know because I know my birds, and I was like, and Morgana saw it. I was like, "Do you see that?" Because you know, it, after this, after seeing a horse go poof and disappear, I'm not real sure I'm seeing everything as normal anymore. I'm kind of like, "Whoa, things are weird." So I'm like, do you see that eagle? And she's like, yeah. And so I was like, hey, hey, kid, you know, to to the little brother. Hey, hey, go. You see the eagle? You see the eagle? Do you, do you see? And none of the kids saw it. It was flying low over the battlefield and then it swooped off. And so I, we to this day do not know if we saw an eagle and the other kid, you know, the kids were just too city and needed their lunch and were too hyper and didn't see it. Or if it was some kind of, you know, imprint on the area or some spirit creature. I, I don't know. But it was weird. And everybody in Gettysburg will tell you a ghost story. Oh, my God. The cop. When we took the kids to the coffee shop, because I guess it's safe for me to say now that I am a terrible chaperone. I am such an easy mark for children. Um, I I let the kids eat ice cream one night for dinner, and I let them and have coffee. coffee. I let them have coffee at a coffee shop. I'm the fun chaperone that everybody was. We want that one. Um, but I'm terrible, and I'm sure the parents probably would be very disappointed in me. But we had fun. We did, didn't we? They were we they did. were a lot of they fun. They were very happy, even though. Freaking Abraham Lincoln skeeved out on us and didn't show up. Ah, uh, that's night. right. Abraham Lincoln didn't show up. He did not show up. His ghost did not show up. He did not fourscore and seven years ago and all the things that happened. He didn't. He didn't give his address. I was very sad. Um, but the children had fun and they were sugared up. So that's that's what that's what I gave them when Abraham Lincoln did not show up. So we're in a coffee shop and there's a police officer there and they know when you're there with a school trip. All, everybody in Gettysburg knows when the school trip people are there. And he was like, you're here with a school trip. And I'm like, yes. He's like, you're letting the kids have coffee. He's like, oh, you're the fun chaperone. I'm like, yes, I am. I am the fun chaperone from Ohio. And he's like, oh, Ohio. Yeah, we like the Ohio kids. They're generally polite. And he said, uh, so have you kids seen ghosts yet? And they were all like, no. And then the one was like, oh, I don't want to see a ghost. He's like, well, you're kind of in ghost central. And I said, have you seen ghosts? And he's like, you can't work and live here without seeing ghosts. They are here. And so he started telling us calls. He had been pulled out in the middle of the night for, uh, there's a cavalry rider that will ride in, right in front of a car or once a year at once least. a year 
he will ride in front of a car, not the same night every year, or they'd probably close that road. But in that same stretch of road, he will ride out in front of a car and either cause a car wreck or his horse will stand in the middle of the road and he'll get hit and there'll be like a little bit of a bump, but there won't be anything there. Or they'll swerve to avoid him or he'll jump over the car as, as you know, they intersect. You know, he, he's always doing some fancy crap. And he's like, I've been called out there several times with people getting, you know, driving into a ditch because he's like, I don't know which cavalryman it is. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> but he's always pulling something. He's always doing something. Um, what was another one? There was a couple of others with the screaming in the middle of the night. The When I went out to smoke a cigarette, I struck up a conversation with a reenactor who worked there um, and lived there who, and, who said that they were camping on one of their reenactment days. And in the middle of the night, he and his group heard screaming. And so he went out there to see what it was. And he managed to get pictures that he showed me on his little flip phone. And they're red eyes. Hmm. Red eyes just outside the firelight. Um, and he said when he saw those eyes and a little red ball of light, he went right back into that tent and just stayed there. And was like, you know what? We don't need to know what it is. <laughs> yeah. I remember I, I I like that. Yeah, there's lots and lots of spook lights and little lights in the woods and on the fields there. Um the man who did the farm tour. I liked used, him. I loved him. He was from Alabama, wasn't he? I believe so. Um he was a lot of fun and he used to live in one of the old houses on the battlefield when he was um just married so he had like one kid and his wife and they had weird things happen like footsteps going through the house at night um footsteps on top of the roof um hearing horses running around the house or in the field past the house. And of course you look outside and there's nothing. Um, and lights. They remembered seeing flashes of light for no reason. Not lightning colored light, but like flashes of orange or yellow, really brilliant light. Yeah. He was a lot of fun and he liked you cause you knew what a nail maker was. <laughs> yes. And we knew all of the, you know, weird historical pioneer things. That, yes. Yeah. He was teaching the kids about. He he <laughs> he thought that uh, us knowing that you could inflate a pig's bladder to make a ball when you slaughtered a pig for the children was particularly telling because my hand shot up. Yep. <laughs> and he yep. was like, okay, you go. <laughs> and then he found out we were from West Virginia and he was like, that explains it. <laughs> and we were like, yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I kind of grew up part city and part. Yeah. You are Ingalls Wilder. Huh? Yeah. You, you helped grandpa slaughter hogs. Great grandpa yep. slaughter hogs. Yep. And, and cows. 
but I would avoid the chickens at all costs because that's horrible and ugh. so um, yeah, that was that was Gettysburg. It was if ev- if you ever have the chance to go, you should from a historical and a paranormal perspective. Yeah, um, and museums are awesome. The museums are amazing. Oh, and I did tell this when we were talking with Fred Morrow, but we had to walk all of Pickett's Charge. And um, I nearly passed out from heat frustration because the son and I are just not friends. It's particularly hot there, too. It's well, and, and all the kids were getting cranky and fractious and freaky. Yeah. You know, they were all acting hangry, even though they had just bloody well eaten. And they were just all just cranky and horrid and being mean to each other and stuff. And we're going and I'm getting madder and madder because all I could think of was the general's stupid idea for this, you know, walking them right into artillery and they're wearing wool and it's hotter in the wool and they're carrying all this stuff. And I just, I was madder and madder at those. It doesn't matter what my politics are at that point. At that point, I was like the poor infantrymen just, they got slaughtered. It was terrible. I was just like, couldn't you have come up with a better plan? Jeb Stewart, couldn't you have gotten your butt there on time or something? What? What's, <laughs> what? Why'd you guys do this to these kids? You know? And so, oh, and, and that was where, okay, so at the end of Pickett's Charge, there's this big old tree that was there when the battle happened. It was much smaller. And so, you know, I get there and I basically collapse under that tree because I'm like, I'm about to die, you know, and everybody's like, are you okay? I'm like, no, not really. I've drank all my water. And so, you know, people were bringing me water and I drank it and, and I'm sitting there and I'm watching kids, you know, take each other's pictures at that tree. And, um, one of, uh, Wolf, that's, that's my son, one of his friends had a picture taken by somebody and they looked at it and there were all of these orbs under the tree with him. And the, you know, the kid was like, Hey, something's weird with the, with the phone, somebody else take a picture. So they took another picture of him and there were still orbs. It was different, different phone. And then they took pictures of other kids under there and there were no orbs around the other kids. Um, so that was weird. And, uh, interestingly, I used a photograph recently for a cover shot for one of these recent episodes that his dad had taken down by the river. And there is a weird green orb in that photograph. And what's interesting is I cut his kid that was having the orb pictures in Gettysburg out of that photograph. Cause you know, I didn't want the kid's face and everything. So apparently he just has things following him around. We, we don't know, but um, it was funny. Cause Wolf looked at it and went, Oh, well he has that happen. You know, remember that happened at Gettysburg. And I was like, Oh, I'd forgotten, but you're right. I did see that picture. And the teachers told the kids after those pictures were taken, they were like, yeah, you get pictures of orbs here. Like it's, it's not dust. It's it's something else, and it's yeah. really common because, of course, they go every year for like ten years. 
No, it's just such an intense release of energy of all sorts. And that's where my tie-in for the cannon fire and the trees was just the spent energy of the place. Yeah. And the stone. Yeah. Lots of granite there. Yeah, that's true. So there's quartz. So who knows what was absorbed and stored. And, and it's just, it's a... And the emotional energy is just so strong. Yeah. And people come to pay homage and yeah. to learn. Yeah. And I think it, people almost make pilgrimages. Oh, yeah. And I think they should. Yeah. Um, I think it's important. I think it's very important that we remember things that have happened, like Gettysburg yeah. and work we to remember happen yes again, please. <laughs> please everyone because <Thank> <laughs> um, that's the just the magnitude of the dead at that three-day battle is just astounding yeah. it really is and that's why i think you if you can go you should be yeah. you paranormal enthusiast, be you history nerd, be you anything else. If you get a chance, go to Gettysburg because it's an important place. Yeah. yeah and you'll probably so. see a ghost. Yeah. Or hear one. Even well, if it's just a horse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even if you just see a horse that disappears in front of your face. Like that was, I did not like that. Because <laughs> 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 he looked solid. He, he didn't did. look he looked wispy. Like a horse. He didn't look he wispy. He just looked like a very annoyed horse. Yeah, he was very angry. Who knows? I didn't like it. Um, that was, it's ghost horses yelling, "Get off my lawn!" Right? <laughs> That's what he was doing. <laughs> he used to get off my lawn horse. <laughs> so, I was going to talk about. Oh, go ahead. You're laughing. No, at something. no you got to no. share it now. <laughs> no, no, none of the other ghosts want to deal with the tourists, so they send out that poor horse. And every time the horse is like, damn it, me again. God, <laughs> I drew the short straw because like, you guys are cheating. You're cheating. It's not me. fair. I don't have thumbs. <laughs> Stop making me talk to the tourists. <laughs> All right, here I go. <laughs> hey, maybe he's the horse that that cavalryman rides. And that's why he's so angry all the time. It's like, he always wants me getting run over by cars. <laughs> <laughs> Making a mess. Damn. All right. So the next thing I was going to talk about is I used to work at a fairly famous haunted place in Huntington, West Virginia. Um, and that's the Keith Albee Theater. I also worked at the cinema and the Camelot. I mostly worked at the cinema and the Camelot. I uh, would substitute for people when they were out of workers at the Keith Albee and I would work there or I would work special events. Um, theaters, I am convinced, are all haunted. And I think part of it has to do with, again, the amount of emotion that's generated by actors the amount of attention and care that's put into an entire production. Um, 
you know, you have all of these people working together to create something. And then you get the movies and you have all of these audiences all watching the same things. You know, a movie will play five to seven times a day. I remember when they had the 50th anniversary of Snow White. That damn movie played seven times a day. And if I worked a double, I heard someday my prince will come is is sung five times in that movie. And if you are there for all seven shows, you get to hear it 35 times in a day. If you work doubles on the weekend, both days, that's 70 times in a 48-hour period. That is against the Geneva Convention. That should not be allowed. I that think, is wrong. <laughs> I think that's even worse than being stuck on that small world ride when it shuts down <laughs> and you're sitting in a tunnel like, make it stop. <laughs> it was awful. Oh, my God. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. It was terrible. That when when that 50th anniversary, oh, my God, I, I basically, you know, said to the manager, I was like, I am not working mm-hmm. at the cinema. Put me in the Camelot. I don't care. He's like, well, but I need to, I don't care. Put, put a doorman in there. I don't want, I don't want to hear that ever again. And honestly, I have watched it once since then. And this was mm, 35 years ago, something like that. I was so glad my kids did not get into the old Disney princesses. I know I'm supposed to feel some kind of way about that, but I'm I'm good good with them being up with the modern princesses. Thank you. Um, Everyone thanks you, really. I mean, (laughs) it's, it's historically speaking, it's important because of what it is, that it was the first feature length animation. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But oh my God, that song and oh my (laughs) God, that singer. And that style of singing that was popular <laughs> at that time. Someday. My, oh, my God. Geez, that vibrato is just just like nails on a chalkboard. It was awful. Um, I started making up new lyrics for it that would get bloodier and bloodier with each showing. You know, it was bad. Um, so, but the thing about working in a movie theater is there's all kinds of things that you have to do. It isn't just, you know, selling a ticket, selling some popcorn, and that's it. You actually go in and sort of patrol the theater at least once per show, usually two or three times. And what you do is you check the temperature, you make sure that the movie is doing what it's supposed to be doing and there isn't an issue with, you know skipped sprockets or whatever because honestly most of the time people will tell you but not always so sometimes people will sit there and there's no soundtrack running and you're like why didn't you say something and they're like we thought it was supposed to be silent uh it's not the 1920s hello Mm -hmm. the jazz singer the talkies they happened um (laughs) you know so you have to go and deal with that and you also count the number of patrons to make sure that it it comes close to fitting with the number of tickets sold and um, the the rule was, is you, you could also, if you came in halfway through a movie, you could stay through the next show to see the beginning, right? 
And so the first story I'm going to tell you isn't really a ghost story, but it's the kind of weird things that happen in theaters. So this, this old man had come in in the middle of a show and he, he was using change to get in. So he probably was homeless. We're not sure. And uh, he got in and he sat near the back and uh, I had been counting, you know, for several shows and I noticed that he was still there. And so I told the, the manager, I was like, Hey, Gary, um, that old dude is still in there. He's like, well, have you seen him move? And I'm like, well, no, but you know, most of the time people aren't really moving that much during a movie. I was like, you know, he's, he's probably came in to get warm. He's like, all right, leave him for the end of this show. And then he's like, either you or Lona can go check him and we can tell him, yeah, dude, you've been here all day. You need to go before the night shows start. I said, okay, well, show ended. I was cleaning up the theater. So he sent Lona and Lona had a very, very, she was loud and she had a very pronounced West Virginia accent. She sounded like this. And <laughs> he was, he was, and what the, the, the way we found out was this piercing scream and Lona came running back up the aisle, jumping up and down as she went. So she was like, ah, Gary, Gary, oh my God, he's dead, he's dead. And her voice just kept going up and up and up until she was squeaking. He's dead. That poor old man is dead, he's dead, he's dead. So Gary, in his great wisdom, said, well, Barb, why don't you go check it? Because Lona is kind of flaky. And I'm like, dude, dead is dead. All right. Just yeah. why don't you call 911? He's like, well, I'll call 911. So you go check. It was, you don't want to check. So, okay, fine. And I said, look, Lona, baby, do you have a, a makeup mirror? And she's like, yes. I'm like, well, give it to me. And she's like, what are you going to do with it? I'm like, I'm not going to put makeup on him. Just give me the mirror. And I was like, you want to come with me? She's like, no, I've already seen him. I touched him. I touched him. Oh, my God, I touched him. What am I going to do? You're going to go wash your hands. Now just wash your hands. You touched a dead guy. Just go. And, you know, <laughs> she was like, oh, my God, I touched a dead guy. I'm like, oh, Lord. So I go, and I stick it under his nose, and th there's no breathing. So I didn't have to touch him. You know, I come back, and Gary is like, well, I called 911. Uh, is he? And I said, yes, he is. He's like, well, did you take his pulse? I went, no, I am not Quincy. I am not a, I, I'm not a doctor. I just <laughs> stuck a mirror under his nose. If, if he was breathing, there'd be condensation. I, I'm not, no, 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 you don't pay me enough for that. And he's like, well, all right, you know. So people die in theaters. It's a thing that happens. Um and then, of course, you know, Gary had to tell us all the stories of all the times that people had died in these theaters. Meanwhile, there were voices in those theaters at night. We would hear voices. Um, and this is before that poor man died. I don't know if he added to the voices or if he just shuffled off his mortal coil and went straight to wherever one, he went. One with the chorus. Yes. Yes, it was like a Greek chorus of, mm -hmm. of noises. 
I was working with a, an assistant manager and she went up to turn off everything in the booth. You had to turn off the booth and then you came downstairs and then you turned off the main theater lights. Um, she left the running lights on. So she, she didn't have the house lights on. She had the running lights on. So it was still dark in there. She went up and she was turning off the booth and right next to her, she heard, and once again there was the sound of running feet and she was back in the lobby like instantly she teleported she was like there's someone in there and i was like well turn on the house lights (laughs) let's go see and we go in there and there is no one there we check all the exits and there's not nothing it's just the two of us in this huge building and she was like, there's something, there's something, there's something. I heard it say hello. And I was like, oh, yeah, you heard the voice. And she said, what voice? I'm like, yeah, you know, Gary doesn't tell people this when he makes you assistant manager, but um, there are voices in the auditorium. And she was like, no, there aren't. There can't be. No, no. So after that, I pretty much had to go up to the the booth with her after. Every time we worked alone, I would go to the booth with her. And Every now and then, as we were walking back down, we would hear it. It would say one of our names, or it would say, hello. And it was always right next to your head. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we we learned to walk really, really fast through there. Because I basically was like, no, I ain't running away from it. Because if, you know, it's a non-corporeal being, I'm not running from it. Because that just draws their attention. <laughs> and so I'm not doing it. Um those that was the worst that we got in the cinema and the Camelot. Although the cinema also had rats and bats, but that's not haunting. That's infestation, and that's different. Um, but they did cause issues occasionally. Like you know, um, there was a rat sitting next to somebody eating his popcorn while he was eating it. And that's uh, so New York. I know. I know. Um, and then there was the time that the Lost Boys was playing and there were bats in the theater and they would come out during the beach scene with that's very well lit with a bonfire. The mm-hmm. light would wake them up and they'd start flying around in the auditorium and swoop down over the audience members. Mm-hmm. And Gary said to me, well, if anybody asks anything about it, deny that they're actually bats. I'm like, dude, you can see the bats. I mean, they fly <laughs> down. I was like, I was counting people like last show and it swooped down and just, you know, buzzed my head. I felt it as it went by and you can hear them. They squeak. He's like, yeah, I turned the sound up a little bit. So maybe you won't be able to hear them. I'm like, oh, okay. So what do you want me to say? Just tell them there weren't any bats. I was like, there are bats there. You can see them. Just say we imported bats for effect. That's what I did. I I took a clipboard and I waited until somebody came running out and a whole family came running out and they were like, there are bats in your theater. I was like, oh, you noticed. And so I pull the clipboard out and I start taking notes. Mm. And I said, well, we're actually testing a special effect that uh, the uh, theater company sent to us. Those are animatronic bats. 
Uh, did you find them to be effective? Were they realistic? Yes, they were very scary. Were you afraid? Yes, yes, it was great. I'm writing this all down, you know, and, and Gary comes in and he's watching me write stuff down. And I'm like, thank you. And uh, I am authorized, since you answered all the questions in our survey, to give you a free Coca-Cola. Would you like that free Coca-Cola product? There you go. Thank you. Goodbye. There you go. And they went in and they were happy. Gary was like, what happened? I was like, I gave him free Coke. He's like, why? I said, because they saw the bats. And he said, well, why did you give him free Coke? I was like, for answering all the survey questions for our new special effect. And he went, you're brilliant. And I said, yes. And um, don't take the free Cokes out of my paycheck, please. And he said, no, 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 no. We'll, 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 we'll jiggery pokery that one. Yeah. <laughs> we'll comp it. It's okay. Um, so that was the worst. Um, but the Keith is a totally different thing. The Keith has an actual ghost who has a name. She's the lady in red and she is seen up on the mezzanine. Uh, the Keith Albee was built in the 1920s. It is the, I think it's the only um, theater of its kind left. It was built as a vaudeville theater by a man named Lowe. And I'm pretty sure that this is the last one that is still in operation. There's another one in New York that's slated to be destroyed soon. Um, he built these, these giant things that they would have a, a theme to them. And this one was Spanish Rococo. So the ceiling is painted like a sky at night with stars and the stars are made of gilt. And there are little recessed lights in the stars. So when the house lights come up, the stars glow. Mm -hmm. There's paintings of villas all along the walls of the main auditorium. And then in all of these recessed places, there are boxes like that had been closed off for years. Um, but, you know, special patrons could sit up there. And in those recesses were also murals. Um, there was all of this guilt, elaborate guilt work, uh, you know, just curly cues and Florida de lis and everything. It was beautiful um, and gigantic. And then the bathrooms had sitting rooms outside of them. And then these big, spacious bathrooms. And they were beautiful. They were beautifully appointed. Um but the, the bathrooms were very haunted. Um, the mezzanine bathroom and the sitting room particularly is where for the ladies room is where the lady in red is seen. And she has on a red, like 1940s dress and red high heels. And she looks like a person until she basically walks past you. And then she just disappears. Like she just, and is gone. And then the women's room in the basement in the lower level is haunted, but nobody knows with what. There's just a feeling of being watched and a feeling of heaviness there. And I remember that from going to the, the, the bathroom. I hated going to that bathroom. I would hold it, you know, or go up to the mezzanine because I was like, I'll take my chances with Red Lady any day the red dress lady. I am totally, I'm totally with that babe. I know what she is. I don't know what's down there. I don't like it. That house in Pomeroy had that feeling, which I'll talk about that later. 
I had um, a, I, the house I lived in was just dense. Heavy. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's how that bathroom felt. Um, two electricians had died in the early years of that theater down in the basement. And the basement was like freaking catacombs. Um, it actually had one of the first air conditioning units ever used in a big theater like that. Mm-hmm. And it worked by condensation down in the basement. And then they it would have air go up and then come back down. It was fascinating um, engineering feat at the time. But it was super haunted. Um, and weird things happened, like doors opened and closed. Um, you'd hear voices in the bathroom when there was nobody there. Um, there was sounds in the hallways, like if you were going down to the bathroom, you'd go through these long stair-stepped hallways down or stair-stepped hallways up to get to the bathroom and you'd hear voices, but there'd be nobody around. Um, and then there was the night of the midnight movies. So the Keith Albee did not have midnight movies because it was too fancy. We had midnight movies at the Camelot because it was a smaller theater and we had an upstairs and a downstairs so we could run two midnight movies and all of the teenagers from like Southeastern Ohio and Kentucky and West Virginia would come and cruise up and down the street on a Friday night and a Saturday night and then go to the midnight movies. And I liked working those shifts because I didn't have to be nice to anybody. And so my natural tendency to be snide and sarcastic and stuff like that came out. And also I was allowed to take beer off of these kids who would try to sneak it in. And then we keep it in a fridge up in the manager's office and then we drink it later. So that was pretty cool. And, and we doorman would, you know, have a sort of a contest as to who could take more beer from people. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd worked a, a midnight movie shift. It was, it was busy as usual. We had gotten a lot of beer. We had not had a chance to drink it when we got a phone call from the manager of the entire theater corporation that, that, that was owned by the same family who had owned the Keith Albee when it was first built and who had helped pay to build it. So these, these people had a serious stake in this theater company. An alarm had gone off at the Keith Albee. The back door was open. And they wanted Gary to take a couple people and go down and check it out. And Gary said, well, I've got, I've got Barb here and I've got uh, Joey here. So, you know, Joey's, Joey, Joey was a little skinny high school kid. And he's like, Joey's pretty, pretty, you know, he's upstanding. It'll be cool. And, uh, and Joey's looking at me. I'm looking at Joey. And uh, he said, and Barb's my ass kicker. And she's, she's got her mag light, so it'll be okay. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And uh, I was like, that's great. And the theater owner had said, hey, you want us to call the cops? And you can take the cops through with you. Because we had to check the whole building, and that building is gigantic. And he said, no, 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 we'll be fine. So here we go. We have to go through this entire building. Gary has asthma. So the whole time he's, like, taking his his, his uh, 
inhaler and gasping as we're going through this. And he would not turn on the lights. So we're going through it in the dark with flashlights. I was like, why aren't we turning on the lights? If it's a person, we're not going to be able to see them with the flash. They'll see us coming. And then, you know, they'll still be in here. They'll just, you know, walk around us and avoid us. And he was like, no, 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 no. We need to keep the, if we turn on the lights, then people will think we're open. And then, and I'm like, it's two o'clock in the morning. Nobody's going to think we're open. Just turn on the lights. He's like, no, 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 no. They're a pain in the butt to turn on. And you have to do this and that and the other thing. And it's some arcane, you know, electrical explanation of something. So you wouldn't turn on the lights. So he goes first, then it's me. And then it's Joey. And we start hearing footsteps. Except Gary can't hear him. It's just me and Joey. And we're in the dark and we have three flashlights, only one of which is really good. And we hear pacing us. And I was like, Joey, you hear that? He's like, yeah, I hear that. I was like, dude. He's like, I know. And I was like, hey, Garvis, you hear anything? And he's like, no. And I'm like, that's why you don't hear anything. And I was like, Garvis, hold your breath while we walk. And then tell me if you hear anything. And so he holds his breath. And we're hearing right behind us. Garvis isn't hearing nothing. He's like, I don't hear anything. And then he goes back to breathing. (gasps) So we have heavy breathing in the front. We have footsteps behind us. At this point, Joey's like, I'm going to hold on to your shoulder. And if I let go, run and just let me die and just leave (laughs) me behind. Because somebody, because honestly, we were afraid that it was a person. We, you know, we would turn around and flash our lights. We never saw anybody, but we honestly thought it was a person behind us. Until, you know, we go into the basement where the two people died. And it's just god-awful, labyrinthine, horrible, giant boiler rooms and things and giant popcorn maker and all this crap down there. And cobwebs, and it's terrible, and we're going through, and the footsteps are louder and louder, and then we start seeing these flashes of light around us. And every time we go, <laughs> you know, Gary would turn around, and it would be gone. And he's like, what's wrong with you two? I'm like, there are flashes of light. There are flashes of light. There is light down here. There is light flashing. He's like, oh, it's just the rods and cones in your eyes trying to see. And I'm like, no, because we have light down here with the flashlights. That's not the problem. I know how eyes work. I, I've taken biology. I know these things. I it, 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 there's there's flashes of light. What's it look like? Well, it's kind of blue. There are blue flashes of light, blue, blue, and it's flashing and it's flashing right next to our heads. He's like, well, I can't see it. Well, it's not my fault. You're a blockhead and you can't see weird spirit crap. But it's out there and it's there mm-hmm. and I want to go. Can we just go lock the back door now and just get out? Just just I'm done with this. It's two in the morning. Oh, wait, it's 2.30 in the morning now. No, we had to keep going. And so we did. And Jimmy is, or Joey, is holding on at this point to my shoulder like like a death grip. And we're both, you know, he was like, did you bring like a crucifix or anything? I'm like, I'm not Christian. He's like, I'm not either. But did you bring one? I'm like, no, I didn't know that we'd have to be going and hunting in, you know, Dracula's lair for, you know, footstep-making spirits. This is terrible. 
And we went through and then we get to the back door and it's, it's banging open. We closed it and we start going, you know, back through again because he made us check the main auditorium again and there are lights in there now and the alarm goes off again and something had opened the door again. So I said, Gary, I see a chain and a padlock. Can we please chain and padlock it so that if that opens, we can never come through here ever again because whatever that is, it's not human and it's bad. <laughs> Unless it's a hacksaw that went through it. Can we just do that? And he's like, yeah, I think we should probably chain it at this point. He's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, seriously, there is a vibe in here that is not cool. It's very heavy and I don't like it. You know how the bathroom feels in the women's room? He's like, no, because they don't go down there. I'm like, well, everybody else knows about it. And he's like, Joey, do you know about it? He's like, yes, yes, everybody knows about that. It's heavy and crappy and nobody likes it. That's why all the women will go into the men's room during the movies. And he's like, oh, okay. And I was like, yeah, that's how the whole thing feels right now. And we keep hearing footsteps. And he was like, oh, well, okay, I guess we'll just, we'll just go. And so we did, you know, we finally, you know, Joey and I basically ran up the, the, the central aisle, like, you know, freaking Keystone cops, Laurel and Hardy, just as fast as we could go. And then Gary doesn't come out and he's not there. And we're like, they got him. <laughs> and Joey was like, what are we going to do? I said, I'm not going back in for him. And he was like, oh, come on. He's your friend. I'm like, ah, he's not that much of my friend. He made me come here. And he's like, now, come on. And I was like, oh, he's like, I guess I'll go by myself. I'm like, I'm not going to let you die, too. Come on. And so I, I went with him. And so we're like, Gary, Gary, where are you, Gary? Gary, where's your flashlight? Gary, where are you? Gary, Gary. He had dropped his keys. And so he had gone to look for his keys behind the curtain. So we're going, Gary, Gary, and unlike a normal human being who would yell out, I'm over here, I dropped my keys at some point, and I need to find them, and I'm behind the curtain, he just starts moving the curtain. And we screamed, and then mm -hmm. he thought that was really, really funny. Um, so we had to spend another hour looking for his keys, which we did eventually find. But the whole time, I was just absolutely furious i didn't get home until like four that morning Gosh. he didn't even take us out for pancakes at the all-night diner i what a what a jerk i mean if you're gonna drag people on a you know crap hunt like that you get them pancakes give them pancakes yeah i was like this is just this is just nonsense although i don't think joey would have gone for pancakes i think he was he was maxed out and totally done but he did at least give us all the beer that was in the fridge. So I didn't have to you know, buy beer for a week. But yeah, uh, that was when I was much, much younger. I was in my 20s at that point. Um, now I probably would not do that without other equipment. So that's the Keith Albee. There's also, I know Gary's wife, took a news team there during the day and they set up all these lights to video and do a ghost hunting segment. 
This is before the ghost hunting shows were popular. This is back in the 90s, early 90s, late 80s. And uh, they set everything up. They had everything. And every time they'd turn their lights on, fuses would blow and the lights would go out. And so they would fix the fuse and then they would fix the lights and then the lights would go out and the fuse would be fine. So it wasn't the fuses. So then they'd figure, oh, well, it's this connector and that and this outlet. And so they'd change, you know, they'd jiggery pokery and they'd fix this and they'd fix that. And the lights would go out. The third time the lights went out, they um, broke bulbs. So the bulbs popped. And then the next time... Ghost says, I said no! (laughs) That is pretty much what happened. So these bulbs are, you know, breaking in the middle of the the auditorium. Poor Ghost, stop it, I have a headache. Stop it, I have a headache. I said no! (laughs) Exactly. And then you know the the they get it fixed they they put new bulbs in and before they can throw the switch all of these lights go on in the middle of the auditorium like these blue lights just flashed and then flew straight up the aisle and they saw that this I I heard I talked to like five people who were there. They all saw it. They all looked at at Gary's wife and were like, "What's that?" And she was like, "That's the angry ghost that really doesn't want you filming them." And they went to use their video cameras, and the batteries were all drained. So they never got to shoot footage in there because it just said, "No, I'm done with you." I wonder if it stole their keys. Probably did. Because <laughs> that's like the best. I had a house that stole keys. That house on Central would steal my stuff. Yeah. That would be crazy. Keys, student ID. And I'd say, may I please have this back? And it would show up where I had been looking for it, but later. But I always had to ask for my stuff back. May I please have my stuff back? He was a very nice ghost, I guess. His name was Dave, apparently. I think I've told. I think I've told that story. Yeah. That was that was the yeah, the guy that knew the guy I went to California with. <clears throat> but as you're talking about theater, I assume it's my turn. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, when I worked for the Civilian Conservation Corps, we rehabbed, we did a lot of rehab work. One of the things we did is we like took apart uh, log cabins and moved them. One of the other things we did is we would get hired to um, renovate like the opera house in Nelsonville. And that's where I learned how to do drywall. And I learned that I hate drywall and I will never do that again if I can help it. But one of the neat things about being in that theater is you could be in the stairwell in, in back, not even behind the stage, like the back entrance, not even like connected to the stage or anything. And then uh, and you could hear people talking from mm-hmm. the stage area. And that was the biggest thing is you could hear like the low rumble of the crowd talking. When um, there was no crowd. When there was nobody there. <clears throat> and the dressing room, I could... I never quite saw anything, but I could get the definite sense of, was it like um, 
two stories of dressing rooms and there was a catwalk and the stairs down. And I got the sense of people just milling about up there and it opera house always just, it felt busy. It didn't feel bad. It just felt busy. Like the it's a ghost of happiness past kind of sense, mm -hmm. but it was a very positive thing in, in that particular, particular location. But the reference I made earlier to the house in Pomeroy, I lived in this house, old Victorian built by a civil war general or civil war colonel. And it was neat. Like the upstairs hallway had a curve to it, which is not something they did back during that time, but everything like all the woodwork was hand carved and he stuck around to make sure we didn't damage his handiwork. So like if you, I accidentally nicked something, the woodwork at one point, um, carrying a piece of a bed. And I can remember feeling, I just dropped the bed. It was like I had been physically hit and I just mm -hmm. dropped it. And I'm like, I, I need a minute. <laughs> but there were many times at that house where you just, you just got this overwhelming sense of weight and being watched. And the house was super close to the road. So I would park across the street and every night I, when I would come home from classes, I would have to let the house know I was home before the weight lifted. It's like, I could feel the pressure of stay the heck out. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that I, like I said, I didn't see any, I'm not more, I don't see things so much as I sense them and I feel them. Um, and that was a lot of what that house was about was just almost an almost oppressive weight. So I got out of that as soon as I could and moved to a house in town that had the basement was a cistern, <laughs> but that's the only real, the only two real stories I haven't told yet. I've told a lot of mine. So. Did you tell the one about the Mound Street house? Oh, with the girl or the kid. That's right. I was thinking about that the other day and I thought about bringing it up. So a whole bunch of us lived in this house on Mound Street and more than was appropriate by code. We were, we were in violation of code in many ways, but um, lots of things in that house that were in violation of code. Oh the whole thing was a violation of code. <laughs> And it's but, on top of an old mound on top of everything else. That makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. Hence so, the name of the street. I actually had looked like guy I was um, engaged to back at that point, which was not my husband now. Um, I had, we had looked at buying that house and it's a weird little house. It sits like the, the first floor, when you walk in off the street, is like an entryway, and then there's a stair stairway down, and then there's three or four bedrooms and a bathroom on the first floor. If you go in the bathroom, you get the stairs up to, to the attic, and then like the downstairs was like a living room area and a kitchen, and then behind the kitchen was a coal room. And when we went looking at that house, I got into the kitchen. Like I walked in that door. There was a door on that level. And I got as far as the 
door to the coal room and I was like, we're not, nope, nope, we're not buying this house because there was something deeply wrong with it. Fast forward a couple of years later, I kind of like pushed all that out of my mind. Didn't really think about it. <clears throat> um, no longer with ex-fiance person. When I moved in, kind of moved into the house. I lived, I crashed in the attic. Um, you were the thing in the attic. Yeah, I was the thing in the attic. You and Mrs. Rochester, the raccoon. Yeah. I didn't have a raccoon with me. I had squirrels that. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't have the nuts on the tin or the slate roof. That was Mrs. Rochester was for the second thing in the attic. She must have been later. Yeah, it was. I think that was Dan Trout. He had the raccoon, the raccoon family Rochester. Ah. So um, there was one day where we had all been getting a sense of. A little girl. In fact, I was dating my husband at the time. And at one point, he actually, and he does, he experiences nothing. He is, he's a brick. And at one point, he woke up and he said, I was having the weirdest dream. There was a little blonde girl standing at the foot of the bed. And I was looking at her and she was looking at me. And she, he said, I heard what sounded like a mom's voice from down in the bathroom say, Christine, come on, leave them alone. And they left because that was the weirdest thing. And I'm like, okay, that had to be pretty strong if he picked up on that. So not long after that, the group of us living at the house, I don't know what it got us started on this, but it's like we were kind of solving the, the mystery of the house in a way. Um, and I don't, I don't know how much of it was us feeding each other overlaid on top of what we had been experiencing, but gosh, we ended up, we we're walking around the house, kind of piecing things together. And we ended up in the coal room and there was just this sense of being trapped and the sense we got was that one or two kids had been locked in there as punishment. And at one point, I there was this board that had been leaning up against the corner since forever. And I took the board and I, I don't know why I asked. I said, should I? And I pulled my hand back and the board fell and there was a BB gun rifle leaning up against the wall and I, everybody, it's like everybody stopped and looked at it. And one of our housemates said that she was at the top stair and she said she felt it when we saw that. And she just sit, sat down and went, there's a gun. But that whole, that house was so, there was so much going on at that house, both for the living and the dead. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. it's hard to, to separate which was which, but um, you just, that was mostly the sense of there are places you just didn't go. Like there were no, no places. I don't remember things being moved or relocated, but, and also those of us lived there that were never really quite the same after that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that was so. that was also the same time when the um nothings. Yeah, that's right. Stuff that was, was yeah. being seen, and our graduation party was in the mix in there. Yeah, there, and yeah. there was all kinds of weird activity. Yeah, but that and house it, was definitely not okay. And again, it's right on top of an old burial mound. Which makes sense of everything. That, yeah. Like just that sense of, we're just not, we didn't belong there. Yeah. I was it, the same with the house in Pomeroy. It was just, I, I did not belong there and I needed to leave. I looked it up on Google Earth and whoever's there, it's it's beautiful. It's been well maintained. The new people who own it have done great things with it. There's like a little library external sitting like right next to it that they turned into a chicken coop, which makes me a little sad, but I always thought that was a, it was just a neat setup. Yeah. Yeah. I always wanted to go see that house and, and we, you, you moved out before we could make that happen. I, I think it's more, I got the F out than I moved out for many, <laughs> many reasons. It was more of an evacuation <laughs> than yeah. a moving out. Yeah. <laughs> Both for the living and the dead. <laughs> it, yeah. It was a pl- problematic place for me to be. But we could go by down there again. I wouldn't mind driving by. I'd even knock on the door and ask if they saw the ghost. But according to the one of the people that lived there during the time, it was his house that he grew up in. And according to him, he summoned something in his childhood. And it was... He said it was the guy who built the house. And I remember getting a direct, a, a very distinct image of what this guy looked like at one point while I was living there. And then he showed me a picture and that was actually the picture, the, the image that I had seen. So that was kind of creepy. Um, and there were times where it's like you'd go to speak and you feel like you're talking in a vacuum, like you're you're not sure that anybody can hear you. Right. And that was really that house is not good. Both neither of those houses were good, but of the two, the one in Pomeroy was well, it's Harris, Harrisonburg, something, Harris something in the Pomeroy area. It was just really Yeah. It was a not it was it was not a good place. Yeah. It might have been cleansed. And there was like the whole back wall was full of beehive. There were oh, so wow. Many problems. So I was actually surprised that the house is still, is still standing, but that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, was it very exciting? No, <laughs> no, it's still a cool story. Yeah. You know, well, that's the thing about the, the Athens area is there's yeah. just so many houses that are just a little bit, strange and yeah my best friend's old house that she moved into after we quit living together there was a thing on the stairs in her house too i was helping carry something up to her room one day and i was i I stopped and i walked back up i got to her room i'm like you know there's and she was like the thing in the corner of the stairs yeah i know (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, yeah. it's funny is the cool room to get in, you go through a door and you go under the stairs and then you go through another door into the cool room. So in effect, it's its own thing under the stairs. There's just things on the stairs There's in Athens. Stairs in Athens. That's funny. Yeah, that is odd. I don't know if there were, sta- were there things on the stair in the house in Pomeroy. I wasn't allowed to go upstairs. I felt like there was reason. there was a thing on the stairs at the house that um, one of our friends last lived in in Athens that ended up being the house that um, Alexandra moved into when she came to Athens. Like my friend moved out and then a new person moved in and then Alexandra came hmm. and moved in with that person because she was describing the house in the episode. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I know that house. There's a thing on the stairs in that house. It's an old Victorian farmhouse. And I remember the first time I saw it and I saw those stairs, I was like, Whoa, uh, mm, something, something about the stairs. And it's our friend funny. Annie was like, yep, something about the stairs. There's something happening on those stairs. I know. And I'm like, okay. So yes, Athens has a thing with things on stairs. It's the things on stairs town mm-hmm. things. Well, there are a lot of stairs in that town because there's yeah. a lot of hill. Yes. Yeah. 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 We have some entertaining architecture here. Yeah. Like the setup of the Mound Street house is really strange. That was weird. That was so weird. And that's how I... That's how I knew somebody was really paying attention to me entirely too intensely when they figured out how to knock on my door from the outside. I had a stalker. Yeah, that guy. That guy. It was the one who told you Dave's name. Yeah, actually it was. Who mm-hmm. actually knew Dave. So that was weird. That whole thing was weird. That whole like Everything about that was weird. There was a connectivity that I haven't really experienced since. But there's all kinds of strange connections here in Athens. Yeah. So, so those are our ghost stories. I've got a couple more, but I think we've done plenty, plenty of ghost stories for the Halloween time and the dark time of the year. I think that's, we've done well. Anybody else feel like, no. uh, nah, I think we're good. Well, thank you for listening to us. Um, this is our 50th episode. Isn't that exciting? That is mm-hmm. exciting. Um, cake. I can't believe that we made it to 50 episodes. I and really can't either. Like, that's crazy. I feel like I can. Just- i feel like we just started (laughs) no i do not feel like we just started (laughs) um so you know if you have any thoughts that you want to share with us please send it in an email our emails on our website and thank you so much for listening to us and happy halloween happy halloween happy halloween Boo.